Hello, and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson. I'm here with my co-host, Toby Brazoff. What's up, Toby? Not much, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So together on this show, we'll listen to legendary tracks and the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known songs they sampled from. So, Tobe, what do we have going on today? This is Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson off her 1989 album entitled Rhythm Nation 1814. Toby, Tobe, I just want to thank you. Okay, before I say you're welcome, thank me for what? Well, you know, I, there's just something about this track that makes me feel like, I don't know, a mouse. Or an elf. Or, or maybe just myself, I don't know, but... It all feels good. I think I know what you mean, and, and that by no means is an accident. Let's rewind and take a listen to some of the inspiration behind Janet's rhythmation. That's funky. That is funky. That is funky. Oh, now it's all making sense. You still feeling like an elf? I am I'm just myself. <laughs> so this is Sly and the Family Stone. Thank you for letting me be myself again. 1969 track. So the song title, if you ever see it written out, is sort of an intentional mondegreen, which we had gotten into in one of our previous episodes. But it really just means for letting me be myself again, right? So uh, this song was actually ranked number 402 in Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest of all time. Sort of an interesting thing happened here. It was supposed to be on their next album that had come out uh, in 69. But since they had some issues with the band, as they say, that album was actually never completed. So this instead was released with two other tracks on their 1970 Greatest Hits LP. This song actually was number one on the Soul Singles chart for about five weeks. It was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in February of 70, and it ranked as the number 19 song overall of 1970. What were you doing in 1970, Toby? Uh, uh, I wasn't even thought of. No? 1970. <laughs> Not even a little bit? <laughs> Not even a little bit. Okay. So Sly and the Family Stone was formed by Sly Stone, which was, was actually born Sylvester Stewart, um, but he actually got his nickname after a classmate misspelled his name, so instead of Sylvester, it was Slyvester. Which I think, all things considered, if your nickname's Sly, that's not so bad. Yes, that's, that's, that's I mean, really work, cool. Work for Stone, work for Stallone, like all Slys are good. Unless you're a preacher. If oh. you're a preacher, if you're a pastor, Sly's you know, no preacher, good. preacher Sly, no, yeah. no, Reverend no. Sly, Reverend Sly, Sly. I kind of like that though. <laughs> that's not. That's like saying Pastor Cheat, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's not. So it's just not going to work. So Sly was a very much a musical prodigy. He was proficient on multiple instruments. He played guitar and bass and drums and keyboard and all sorts of stuff. Once again. We have our ubiquitous Bootsy Collins because he's he, everywhere. He he's Kevin Bacon, right? He really I mean, is. Everybody's connected the bass to Bootsy. Playing Kevin Bacon right yeah. now. I mean, that is wow. Bootsy is everywhere. Everywhere. So, but this is what, and this Bootsy's clearly a guy who knows about music, right? Clearly, he, he says most talented musician I know is Sly Stone. He's more talented than anybody I've ever seen. He's amazing. I've worked with him in Detroit from 81 to 83, and to see him just fooling around, playing, jamming, it's a whole other trip. He's the most amazing musician. Now, think about that. Like, who has Bootsy played with? I, I don't know. Everybody? Everyone. James Brown. I mean, right there. You're, yeah, you're that's basically it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Say no more. George Clinton. Like, yeah. so, 
and then everybody in between. And so for him to say that, that's some pretty high praise. So Sly was clearly a talented guy. Um, he actually worked as a DJ in the mid-60s. I think he was out in San Francisco. And he formed a couple of bands. Then eventually Sly and the Family Stone was formed in 66. And it was kind of groundbreaking in some ways because it was a multiracial band, which obviously made a pretty strong impression in that era, right? Mm-hmm. So let's take a listen to their very first hit, which came out in 1968, a little song called Dance to the Music, which I'm sure you're familiar with. But their biggest hit song was actually a protest against prejudice of any kind, right? Which is something we could all use a little bit more of today. A song called Everyday People. Let's give that one a listen. But, you know, of course, any good song is going to get covered. Right, Toby? Oh, absolutely. And who else would you want to cover your song than maybe... I don't know, Eddie Murphy? A donkey and a cat. A donkey and a cat? (laughs) Yes, indeed. So not only Eddie Murphy, but Antonio Banderas. Uh, In Shrek the Third, they actually did a cover of it. Let's give that one a listen. Put the donkey, baby. Put the donkey, baby. Put the donkey, baby. Put the donkey, baby. Once again, baby. Somehow this is kid appropriate. <laughs> so I don't know about you, Tobe, but I could listen to Gladys Knight sing the phone book. Anything, if she just said the word automatopoeia, yeah. I mean, to me, that would be Grammy. I nominated for a Grammy. Like, right. period, like you're getting one. So, I, yeah, my, my musical goal in life was to be a pip, not a, a pip. P-I-P, Tobe, okay? (laughs) I know where I'm going? Okay. I I, I heard you. I think I missed the bus on that. But in 1973, Gladys Knight and the Pips did actually a cover of this as well. And it's awesome. It actually allows the Pips to kind of take a more prominent role in a song for a change. So let's give that one a listen. Yeah, it's so good. Mm. And the cool thing is this has actually been covered live by bands like Soundgarden and Widespread Panic and Dave Matthews Band, who I think still plays it pretty regularly on the road. So it's it's a cool tune. It's been covered a lot. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, Toby, for letting <laughs> me be myself. Again. You're welcome. You're welcome. And now that we've discussed Sly and Family Stone, why don't we slide the conversation in a different direction? And what direction would that be? Joe, don't worry about it. Just let me take control and take the discussion on a little bit of an escapade. Oh, we got the woo-yeah break again. (laughs) Yeah, we do.
We are listening to Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation, from her fourth studio album entitled Rhythm Nation 1814. Uh, Joe. Yes, sir. I know you're a Janet fan. Uh, some stuff. Some stuff? Some stuff. Okay, all right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here to convince you of being a Janet fan by the end of this conversation. Well, can you first tell me what this 1814 is? Because I actually have no idea. You know, that's a really good question. Nobody knows? I, I, okay, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to just throw that at you. I was just curious. No, no. sorry. Right. I could have made something up, but I decided not to. Okay. You know, I thought she'd maybe counting by fours, starting with 18, <laughs> and go back. Go back? Yeah. Wow. That's, that, that's, okay. a, that's All right, work. so, yes, back to <laughs> Janet. Convince me to be a bigger fan than I already am. Black Cat, that's a great song. Black Cat? I do actually like that, too. Black Cat is a good one. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. She has, she has a ton of hits. She does. That she is a true story. Of, a ton of hits. So let's talk about this album in particular, right? This this Rhythm Nation uh, 1814 album, immensely uh, popular. We're talking six times platinum, 12 million albums sold. That's a lot. Worldwide by 1990, viewed by some to really be the pinnacle of of her career, and that's really funny knowing that all the albums that have come after right, that, right. and that you know, as as much as many accolades as she's, I just remember afterwards. her being just huge at that time. It, it was all about Janet. It really was. It really was all about Janet. That's the year that we were. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of her career happened while we were in school. Yep. You know, so we know that, you know, a lot of kids had her posters up. You got it. You know, so uh, it's the only album to actually produce number one hits on the chart in three separate calendar years. Really? Yep. 1989, 1990, and 91. That's kind of crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. That's how you know you're rocking in Budapest. Okay. <laughs> All right. If you can do that. Okay. That's how you know you're rocking in Budapest. If you can do that three separate years. Yeah, that's impressive. So how does she become, you know, this this icon, right? I, I kind of want to go back a little bit in her history. Okay. You know, initially, Janet, when she was younger, uh, was looking to actually be a horse racing jockey or entertainment lawyer. That's sort of an odd aspiration. Isn't it? Especially you be real little for that. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, you do. I mean, you and I could not be jockeys. We would make no money. No, our feet would, would drag. Yeah, would, would, <laughs> horses would good. not like us. No, yeah. no, not at all. They would revolt. She was, wanted to actually support herself through acting, uh, but then decided, you know, she was going to go into music after she heard herself uh, in the studio. Was she like, I'm just so good, I need to... Let other people hear this. Well, look, if she if she's being honest with herself, yeah. Yeah, she I mean, that's, she's <laughs> right. I'm that good. Right. And we're all forever thankful. Uh, at seven years old, she was actually performing at the MGM Casino in Vegas. What? At seven. And that's incredible. That is incredible. 76, she actually began acting on, a, on the variety show called The Jacksons. I totally forgot they actually had their own variety show. Oh, yeah. Show. It was a thing. It could have been the, the, the fact that I was only two years old at the time been, when, this yeah. came, when this came out. In 77, she actually landed a role on the show Good Times. Now that one I remember just from the reruns growing actually, up. Absolutely. Penny, I believe, right? Yeah. And, and several other shows, including Different Strokes. Oh, wow. You know what her character name was on Different Strokes? No idea. I do. Oh. Charlene. Charlene. Oh, my goodness. Stop it. Stop the presses. Mm, okay. And and, uh, and she actually was also on uh, Fame as well. Do you remember that show? I do remember Fame. Okay. She was on for one season. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So her father was a manager and got her a contract with A&M Records for her debut album entitled Janet Jackson in 1982. Uh, she had some you know pretty decent sales and actually led to her second album, uh, which was entitled Dream Street. Had a top 10 hit as well. Both albums were considered primarily to be bubblegum pop yeah. type music. So here's a question for you. Uh, how long does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? What is it? One, 
two, three licks or something like <laughs> yeah, that. I know. I like, actually, yeah. actually have no idea how long. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, but a better question is, <laughs> how long does it take for Janet to jump in the studio and produce her third album? You mean after she just finished the second one? Right. I don't know. Like usually it takes a year and a half, a couple years maybe. You would think that, right? Yeah. Six weeks. She was ready to go. Six weeks. Oh. Third album was called uh, Control. And it now is that one I remember, yeah. I mean it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. It's her breakout album with songs like What Have You Done For Me Lately, Pleasure Principles, Nasty, uh, and then a song called uh, Control, obviously. After listening to those songs, it's easy to see that Janet was going to be a success in the music industry for a while. Uh, but I guess we weren't the only ones that thought that, considering the fact that Control actually earned her three Grammy nominations, including Album of the Year. I guess people were paying attention. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's Janet. Also, due to the success of the videos that were shown on MTV, they really helped uh, another young lady actually get a record contract for choreographing with Janet. And who was that? Paula Abdul. Oh, that's right. I forgot she mm -hmm. was the choreographer uh, for absolutely. all that stuff. It's pretty impressive, right? That's very impressive. So... What was it that made these albums stand out and be so successful? Oh, you mean outside of the, I'm just picturing Janet and Paula dancing. That was kind of nice. Yeah, right. Well, outside of those things, right? Outside of that, enter Mr. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, superstar production team. This is, this is where all the secret sauce is, huh? Absolutely. They were the two uh, individuals that work with Janet and got all those songs done for the Control album and actually worked with her on the uh, fourth album as well as throughout her career, yeah. for that matter. So who is Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis? Well, they're a power R&B songwriting duo. Uh, between them, they have 31 top 10 UK hits and 41 top 10 hits in the USA. Whoa. They met at the Upward Bound program that they, uh, they both attended. Are you familiar with the Upward Bound program? For kids? I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a program typically in, in urban areas, I want to say. But it's a program where, you know, kids get together and they, you know, it's like a summer program. Yeah. A lot of times for engineering or music or whatever the case may be. And regardless, they both met in that program, which is kind of fun. So those two created a band called Flight Time, which evolved into a band by the name of The Time. I don't know if you've heard of them they're or not, not. They're not flying anymore. They're just The Time. Yeah, just The Time. Yeah, just good. The Time. All right. Uh, they toured with Prince as his opening act and then later produced other acts as well. So they toured with Prince, opening act for Prince. I mean, life is, life life is pretty is good. Life is real good. Life is really, really good. So here's a couple of acts that they actually produce for. And, you know, let me know if you've heard of some of these guys. TLC. Yep. Herb Albert. Mm-hmm. Vanessa Williams. Oh, I love Vanessa. I there's like a reason. Her. There's a reason. There's a reason. Mary J. Blige. Yeah, heard her. Usher. Mm -hmm. Boys Usher. to Men. Yeah. Rod Stewart. Oh, that's a switch. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Gwen Stefani. Mm -hmm. New Edition. Mm. Michael Jackson. And the Queen herself, Aretha Franklin. That's, uh, that's a list. I mean, that is a resume. They've been busy. They've been real busy. So as far as like Janet's career, some of the notable ones that I remember from that production crew is When I Think of You, What Have You Done For Me Lately, but other songs that really come to mind are, are the songs that they did for other artists, particularly like If It, if it Isn't Love by New Edition. Oh. Rub You The Right Way by Johnny Gill. Well, now we're getting... <laughs> Can You Stand the Rain by a New Edition? Oh, these are classics. These are classics. 
This is on your cassette, right? That, that slow jam tape. <laughs> on your mixtape. This yeah. is on it. Uh-huh. This is on it for sure. Do What I Gotta Do by Ralph Tresvant. Oh, man, that's, that's my song. And, of course, the main song uh, that we've been talking about, Rhythm Nation. All right, let's talk about that album. This, uh, this to me, is uh, it's an important part of her career because if you are looking at the album control and how well it did, right? Sure, it was huge. I mean, why would you mess with the formula? Ooh, well, if you want to make something better, sometimes you have to shift, right? Right, right. Now, that the, the record label is saying, hey— The record label does not want to change <laughs> well, they don't want to change formula. At all. They don't want to change at all. And, I, you know, I, I give props to to Janet for saying, hey, I want to make a different album. Okay. We're going to make this different. So I watched a little bit of the uh, short film kind of documenting this time and yeah. the creation of, you know, what she did. And the record label is really pushing her to be on a—almost do like a TV special. Oh. To kind of pump that's, up. That's very Jackson family, right? Right, right. Yeah. And that's probably one of the main reasons why she was like, no. Right. She's having nightmares about, like, I do not want to do oh, that. sure, yeah. So instead, what she wants to do is to do a short film. Okay. Okay, for Rhythm Nation. And it really took artistic control of the album as well. So she wanted something completely different. You know, she... Uh, They developed a screenplay actually depicting two aspiring musicians whose lives are disrupted by substance abuse uh, that aired on MTV to promote the album. Uh, Jackson also received nine Grammy Awards. So wait a minute. She actually did something of substance? You got to love it. You got to love it. So in the midst of her commercial popularity, she goes head on with the record company and says... No, I'm going to use my voice for good right here. That's absolutely what she did. And so we're talking about this as, you know, full-grown adults, right, who've got years and upon years right. of experience. Correct. She was a teenager. That's even more impressive. Kudos to her. Totally agree. So the film centered on a boy who had dreams of making it in the music industry, goes down the wrong path, endures tragedy with the help of Janet indoors. So watch the making of the video. And one of the, uh, obviously this is some serious issues, right, yeah, that she's uh, right. digging in here. But I think one of the funniest parts, one of the most interesting parts of the film uh, was Tyron Turner, who is the actual the young actor, the male sure. that was in the uh, in the video. He's talking about his whole favorite part of the the entire process, and he says, "Hey, hugging Janet in the movie, absolutely the, the best part. That was the absolute <laughs> best part of it." He's like, "I hugged her probably like around 12, 14 she smelled times. Real nice. Yeah, I mean, it's just and he just watching his expression. Oh, he was teenage like, "Teenage boys. Whew. Yeah, I'm sure he, could, he had no words. Right. He had no words. Speechless. Right." So, and he hugged her like around 12 times, he said, right? And I call that underachieving. He was clearly counting. Yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd hug, I'd count today. (laughs) (laughs) I I count today and I'm 40, you know what I'm saying? So, so interesting factoid, uh, Tyron, actually, uh, that gentleman would be seen years later as the main character in a movie called Menace to Society. Interesting. Co-starred uh, Lorenz Tate. Yeah. And it was really, really good movie. I did enjoy that movie. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. I've seen parts of it. I've not seen the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So I knew I recognized him. I was like, oh, man, that's that guy. So in uh, 2015, Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam, they also uh, worked again with Janet on the Unbreakable album, which released... Uh, which was released under Janet's new label titled Rhythm Nation. So she was going full bore. She's like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to form my own label. Like, this is my show. Exactly. Control. (laughs) Control. Absolutely. And 
her label is different, you know, from all uh, from all the information on it. She really wanted uh, artists to feel free, yeah. you know, have artistic freedom, have like, more control over the process. Right. Have more control over the process. She's a maverick, right? She's, she's a rebel, yeah. uh, which you got to love. <laughs> Especially coming from that family where it would have been very easy to take take the you know the path that was already laid out yeah I, I totally agree and it's it's interesting you have you know from all practical purposes you're looking at this person as just being right she's a rebel she's you know doing things you know for the community and you know all the social messages that she's come out with and uh, all the good things you hear about her you're gonna hear some rumors as well you mean about a celebrity I, that's I mean, weird it goes it goes hand in hand right <laughs> right rumors yeah fame you know all of that Listening to her old stuff, it certainly brings back a lot of memories. One memory being a rumor about her having a daughter. It seems like something you could pretty easily substantiate one way or the other. You would think. You would think, right? But her... <laughs> she either exists or she doesn't. <laughs> well, so so she got married young. I, I'm sure you've heard of Elder Barge. Yep. So she got married to... Uh, the, one of the singers there, the lead singer, and they got divorced a year later, and he's had his, you know, a list of issues in, involving yeah. substance abuse and what have you, which is funny because it's like right around the same time where this album actually comes out, right? Sure. So you wonder if that kind of fed into her wanting to discuss it and put it out there. Well, he's been confronted many a times, you know, hey, do you guys have a child together? Do you actually have a kid? And he said, hey, when, you know, I'm not going to say anything when Jan is ready to talk about it. She'll talk about it. I'm not going to say one way or another, which is just a weird <laughs> Again, answer. this is an easy thing to respond to. Right. Either yes or no, bro. Yes right. or no. So uh, so he's been maintaining that story for, for years. And now his daughter has a reality TV show and she's asked the same question. And, uh, and now he's admitted that, well, she was pregnant when she was with me so interesting so right? wait is this daughter on the reality show janet's kid no oh it's a no, different daughter a different daughter right right so, so there's still a mysterious daughter somewhere that nobody knows about maybe i feel like i need to get to the bottom of this cliffhanger now are you gonna leave me hanging i think i am because i don't know the answer <laughs> i don't know the answer <laughs> what are you myself. doing to me well i will tell you about the child that she does have right so she has a son with her most uh, recent husband a gentleman named wasim almana and name the son, uh, Isa Almana. Okay. Yeah, so there you go. There's half your answer, right? She does have a child. You're, you're literally giving me nothing. Well, I didn't want to give you a yes or no answer, so my answer is Ness. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like Elliot. Awesome. That's it. That's it. So, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, she certainly has had an effect on entertainers after her. There's a lot of entertainers that have looked at Janet as being the you know, she's the, the one. The icon that she is. Exactly. Especially someone that can entertain like sure. she can. Right? I mean, there's a, a host of female performers that have looked at Janet being like, she's the one. You know, that's the one I want to be at that level. So, Toby, just like you said, listening to Janet's old stuff is brings back a lot of memories. I agree. These songs, they age so well, like like a like a fine wine or brandy. Oh, I like where you're going with this. You like that? Maybe we should listen to some brandy. And perhaps we should listen to some brandy that samples... Sly and the Family Stones, thank you for letting me be myself again. Of 
So this has definitely got that mid-90s R&B vibe, slowed down the groove a little bit. This is Brandy sitting up in my room from 1995. Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's a track. Oh, man. I love Brandy, man. Yeah. She can... She can sing. She can sing. She is She is really, really talented. She's got like over a three-octave range or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, she's sick. She's sick. So you had mentioned um, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Uh, we're going to talk about another producer that you might have heard before, a guy by the name of Babyface. Oh, there we go. Yeah, he's, he's written some songs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 11 Grammys, and he even has, he's even got a part of a highway named after him. Really? Like he's got 25 miles in Indiana that are like, hey, Babyface. Like, that's kind of fun. Wow. I kind of want that. So this track, Sitting Up in My Room, was actually written for the movie Waiting to Exhale, and Babyface actually wrote the entire score for that movie. Let's talk about that movie a little bit, Tobe. Give me your thoughts. Waiting to Exhale actually is a movie from the book uh, written by Terry McMillan of the same title. Terry McMillan was a really popular author during this time period. Uh, She's got a lot of other books very, very popular, especially amongst the African-American community. Yeah. If you notice, as you mentioned, uh, maybe you didn't mention it, but we're going to mention it, that the entire cast you know, for the movie was African-American, right. basically. Right. So that was certainly really different you know, for the time, especially as popular as the movie was. Uh, you add on to that that Forrest Whitaker's is a directional debut. Sure. Uh, and it starred Whitney Houston and Angela Bassett. I mean, these... I mean, this is a star vehicle. Right there. Oh, absolutely. And the stories, you know, about four women, you know, holding their breath until it's uncomfortable in a committed relationship with their men. They all were in different situations, right? So not holding their breath for real, right? Waiting for things to work themselves out, basically. Exactly. Which is something we can all relate to in relationships or life in general, right? Right, right. So for Brandy to land a song on this was huge because that movie made, what, $81 million? And I feel like there was a huge social impact Mm -hmm. because you've got Whitney in it, you've got Angela Bassett in it. This movie and this soundtrack was was everywhere, and it kind of pushed all of this to the forefront, which was pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, you you add, you know, just just think about it. You know, here we are with a you know the black author. Movie comes out. It's all you know African American yep. cast. You know about women. You know, and their and their struggles and challenges with men. Pretty big deal. And I feel like everybody was saying, "Oh, well, it's about time, right?" Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And over time, we see how many albums that uh, Brandy sold worldwide. So you mean she did more stuff? This wasn't it, huh? No, she's very talented, man. Very, very talented. Sold 30 million albums worldwide. That is a lot. And we know that she can act. Uh, I didn't know this before, but uh, she's actually had a Broadway debut. Yeah, in Chicago. Chicago. She played Roxy Hart. And I believe they had a short, like they were going to be open for about six weeks. They ended up extending it because, you know, she's pretty good, that one. Wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm sure you remember Moesha. I do. Yeah. I do. I do remember Moesha. And what I kind of remember about that show is, like, they tackled some tough topics. It wasn't sort of your bubblegum pop. I mean, it was it was kind of fun and sitcom-y, but it was also like we were talking about real stuff, which was pretty groundbreaking, I thought. Pretty progressive. Pretty yeah. progressive. But, you know, I think you, you'll find that when you're dealing with stars that don't need the show, per se. True. You know, she doesn't need the show. She's like, well, if we're going to do it, then let's have it be about some substance. Yeah. So I, I do like that. But she's got a pretty talented uh, family. I didn't know this before. Some of these names that she's, of people that she's related to, yeah, kind of crazy. So I knew about Ray J. Sure, that's her you brother. Know, I, knew about, I knew about Ray J and his tapes and what have yeah, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, but you also have uh, Snoop Dogg as her first cousin. I've, I've heard of that guy. Man. 
That, that, that's impressive. That's a first cousin. Yeah, when your cousin's Snoop or your cousin's Brandy, like, either way, you're a winner. Either way. Yeah. Either way. And then Sasha Banks. Yeah, the wrestler. The wrestler. Yes, that's another first cousin. Incredible. And I believe, actually, that Snoop kind of helped her with the beginning of her, you know, kind of performance and presence on the stage and whatever. So it's a very talented family. So this is the part of the show where we like to get into some bonus material. So I would love to circle back around to Sly Stone again and listen to some other tracks that they've done and see how they've been sampled in other ways. So why don't we do that? The first one um, is from Sly and the Family Stone track, You Can Make It If You Try. So let's listen to that. It's just a great, it's a great beat. Even that little organ's cool. So when you have a great beat, you have to do something with it. In this case, Ice Cube decided, hey, I'm going to take that. And so off of his 92 album, The Predator, he had a song called Wicked. So let's listen to Cube using that beat in that. Is this the video where he has the red hot chili peppers in it? I don't know, but that actually might make sense. And it's funny you bring those up because we're gonna hear from those guys in a second. So probably my personal favorite Sly and the Family Stone song, and actually the album cover is fantastic too, is uh, If You Want Me To Stay. So let's take a listen to that one. Walking that bass, boy. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. Oh, I love that track. Uh, and I'm not the only one who has. Actually, the Dog Pound, we were mentioning Snoop before. He actually uh, did a track with the Dog Pound called If You Want Me To Stay, which oddly enough sounds exactly like this. So let's give it a listen. Because I know you want me to stay. Now if you want me to stay, I'll stay around your way. Long as I get the bank all blue and gray. Now if you want me to play, Man, still funky. Still boy. funky. My goodness. And uh, I feel like, you know, one of the bands that is keeping funk alive these days is the Chili Peppers, right? Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. But back in 85, off of uh, Freaky Styler, they would actually did a cover of If You Want Me To Stay as well. So let's give that one a listen because, you know, Flea can play some bass too. You say 85? 85. <laughs> Early Peppers. It's a right pepper. <laughs> and I don't think of Anthony Kiedis as a, like a fantastic vocalist, right. but he's a good stylist, and I he feel like he, 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 yeah. he's pulling it he off. Pulled it off. He pulled it off. That pretty much wraps up our show for this episode. Thank you for joining us today as we listen to Sly and the Family Stones. Thank you for letting me be myself again. 
Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation, and Brandy sitting up in my room. Toby, what do we have in our next episode? Well, next episode, we are going to find out what a prince can do with a hammer and a tool belt. Wow. Yeah, pretty interesting, right? That is interesting. So let's send you out with another song that samples Sly and the Family Stones, Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again, uh, by a rapper by the name of Little Sean. Songs entitled Keep Your Distance. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next episode. Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael DeLoya. Producer Julie Fink. Audio engineers Eric Coltnow and Dave Shaw. And audio director Michael Seifert. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. I'm a little Sean on the MRC, so get ready. Because when I'm on the neighborhood, rock steady. I'm the future, so grab your coat and hat. Listen and learn the little Sean's all of that. Howie and Don behind the sample of planet. A track for y'all that say History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.